Well, it's good to be here. And um, we come from a family of churches called New Ground. It's been going for about four or five years, part of the bigger New Frontiers family of churches throughout the world. You've become part of our family of churches. And um, we are really excited about you becoming part of us, probably more than you're excited yourselves. And so... We had a conference back in the summer called Ashburnham, which I know some of you came to. And then uh, we had the joy of having Chris, Chris and Matt with us for our two days of prayer back in whenever it was, October, November, and uh, it was wonderful having them there. And we had the joy of introducing them to the bigger crowd of uh, a new ground, and everyone seemed to really, really like them for some very strange, peculiar reason. Then I was up here in November and had a fantastic day uh, in downtown Liverpool. We went and looked at all the sites and we spent the whole day speaking, talking about you as a church and all the vision and the future that we have together. So we feel very much connected with you uh, already. Um, and then being here this weekend has been really great as well, talking, talking, talking. Um, I'm going to be up here again in February and we're going to have a we haven't done all the arrangements of this, but we're going to try and get a kind of family meeting together because one of the things you might not realize is this church doesn't actually have any elders. Now, that might surprise you because you might have thought that these three guys already were, but they're not. And so I'm going to come up in February and talk to you about eldership and why we believe in it and why it's important and that later on in this year, we would like to appoint elders um, in the church. And then we come back again in May and we're going to be with you for your church weekend away, by which time you'll now be fed up with us <laughs> because you've seen us far too much. But we really believe in networking and working alongside local churches and being part of a family and being very relational. And we trust that this will be a real blessing that you will not feel in any sense on your own or whatever, but we'll be together with you on this wonderful journey that we have. Um, I want to speak this morning on the subject of how to be a people of hope. So I was very interested in some of the words that were coming during the worship through people that didn't know I was going to speak on this. And I think sometimes God just orchestrates things like that and brings it together in a, a wonderful way. I don't know how you feel this morning as 2017 comes to an end and you look back on this past year. And I wonder if you're really honest, you would have to say, well... Looking at everything that's gone on in the UK this year and all the different things that have been happening globally, I don't exactly feel, feel filled with a sense of real hope. And as you look towards 2018, um, you might feel similarly that you can't see on the horizon a lot of reasons to particularly feel hopeful about. I think an awful lot of people in Liverpool, if we were to go out onto the streets and interview people and say, have you got a lot of hope in your life at the moment? And what are you really hoping for? And uh, are you hopeful about the future? If they were really honest, I don't think you'd get a lot of positive response uh, to this particular question. And yet this morning, I want to speak on the fact that we are called to be a people of hope in a world where there isn't really much hope. For me, it's a real defining moment. The, the, the epistles talk about the fact that we're to shine like stars in a crooked and perverse generation. And I can't think of anything more that would cause you and me to shine and be different 
than this subject of hope. I really believe in this subject of hope. I think it's a really, really important deal for the church of Jesus in the United Kingdom right now. I think we will make a massive impact upon this society if we have churches flooded with individuals whose lives are absolutely saturated with hope. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 13 says, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So because the greatest of these three is love, guess what? You hear a lot of sermons about love, and rightly so. If you speak in tongues and give all your money to the poor, and you do not have love, it's just like you're just a noise. It's not real. And so it's right that over the years, if you've been a Christian for some years, you've hopefully heard lots of sermons about love and the importance of loving one another. It trumps everything else in church life. If you don't have love as a church community, you're never going to make an impact. So top of the list, number one, love. Coming in, and number two is faith. You hear a lot of sermons, I hope, on faith. Faith is a big deal. If there's one challenge to the church in the Western world right now, it's that we're full of unbelief. And so we need to hear sermons about faith. So I hope you hear lots of sermons about faith. But coming in in the charts at number three is my little friend, Hope. And actually, you don't hear many sermons about hope. I wonder when the last time you, you heard a sermon on hope. And so, although it may not be as important as love and faith, you might hear lots more sermons. I think it sneaks in there. And I think it's quite an important subject for us to look at. I've got this quote from a guy called John Ortberg, who's a good writer. Some of you might have read some of his books. And this is what he says. Hope is the fuel that the human heart runs on. A car crash or a diving accident can paralyze a body. But the death of hope paralyzes the spirit. We can survive the loss of an extraordinary number of things. But no one can live without hope. When it is gone, we are done. That's a pretty powerful statement. You understand why I think this morning that hope is such an important subject. And it may be the reason that so many people in the United Kingdom are so bleak. They've got material things. They've got some exciting things happening, but without hope. And it may just be a hint as to why in this country, suicide rates of young men between 16 and 24 are the highest they've ever been and the highest in the whole of Europe. I think a quote like that helps me understand why that is probably the case. This is not God's will for us. It's not God's will for mankind. It's certainly not God's will for us as his people that we should be flooded and filled with hope. So I'm going to take you to this one verse in Romans chapter 15 and verse 13, which is a wonderful scripture. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I like it so much, I'm going to read it again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing 
so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Can I just draw two points out from that? The first is this, this statement, the God of hope. Now, you could miss that, but that is profound. The God we've been worshipping this morning has many names. One of the statements about this God is he is the God of hope. Now, listen carefully. He's the God of hope and not just a hopeful God. Hope is not describing how God sees hope in the way that you and I sometimes see it and experience it, which is kind of like this. I hope it turns out okay in the end. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. Yes, I really do. I really, really am hopeful. Oh, hang on a minute. No, I'm not. God's not like that. Uh, There was some teaching around a few years ago which went something like, God is never in a bad mood or God is always in a good mood. I didn't like it then. I like it even less now. Why? Because I don't think the word God and mood should be in the same sentence. This doesn't exist. God doesn't have moods. God is God. (laughs) He is consistently the same. He's unchanging. It's not like my hope, which is very fickle depending on how things are going. Hope is God's very nature. It's his essence. Hope isn't even an attribute that comes from God. It's who he is. He can't help but be a God of hope. It's impossible for him not to be flooded with hope. So my hope begins and ends with him. So listen up, Christians. If you're hoping that your hope will come from your circumstances changing, it probably won't. If you're thinking that, well, my hope is dependent on my feelings, please don't go there. Our hope will not be even found in one another or the numbers that attend our meetings. And our hope is certainly not something we find from within ourselves. This is hope rooted in God himself. And when we get to know this God, as we'll see in a moment, this hope floods our lives. In fact, when you know a God of hope, you can believe in hope even when there's nothing hopeful around you. I can sometimes find it easier to believe in a God of hope where there's some few hopeful signs. Oh, maybe maybe this will turn out. But what if there's no hopeful signs? What do you do then? Well, you still believe in the God of hope because he's unchanging. You remember Abraham? God spoke to him and said, you will have a child. And I think that Abraham and Sarah tried everything in the book to help God make this work. And it never did. And he ran out of ideas. And that was a crucial point. Because at that moment in his life, he realized the only way that he would give birth, his wife would give birth to a child, was to consider the one who promised it in the first place. And ask the question, has he got the power to do this? And he came to a place when he realized, yes, he has. And at that moment, he was able to trust God. So it says of Abraham in Romans 4 verse 18, in hope, he believed against hope. Wow. That he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. His wife had never, ever become pregnant. She was 99 years old. We're running out of time here. 
And he considered his own body, it says in Romans 4, as good as dead. There's not a lot of hope. But they came to that place when they really did believe God. And against all hope, in hope, they believed and trusted him. Now, very quickly, this is why scripture is full. I hope I'm convincing you that this scripture is full of this reference to hope. So, for example, Psalm 39, verse 7. Let's just look at one or two of them. And now, O Lord, for what do I hope? Sorry, to what do I wait? My hope is in you. Psalm 42, verse 5. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Psalm 71, verse 5, for you, O Lord, you are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. It's interesting that whether you're young or old, you can hope in God. It doesn't change, whatever season of life you're going through. Psalm 71, verse 14, but I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. This picture of a person speaking to himself why are you downcast oh my soul come on hope in the lord why because he's the god of hope lamentations now if you know the bible you'll know when you get to lamentations you read it either really quickly or skip on to the next because this is not going to be a happy moment in your life the word lamentations is a bit of a clue right there and in the middle of lamentations you find this in chapter 3 verse 21 but this i call to mind And therefore, I have hope. Well, what do you call to mind that floods you with hope? And it gives us the answer. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Isn't that amazing? Right in the midst of lamentations, this amazing description of hope. So, The first point from Romans 15, 13 is this. We are not worshipping a hopeful God who's hoping that things will go out. God is not looking at his church in the United Kingdom, scratching his head and thinking, why did they ever start this in the first place? Look at them. They're never going to fulfill my purposes. He is a God of hope and he cannot be changed. And the second thing is this. He says in this verse that you may abound in hope. If God is hope, surely we are, therefore, a people of hope. And we are not just a hopeful people. I think some of us can think, well, we're just hopeful people and we hope everything turns out all right in the end. But actually, we are a reflection of who God is. I am convinced that not only should we celebrate that God is the God of hope this morning, but we are to be a people of hope, abounding in hope. So my question is this, how can we be a people of hope? And I'd like to suggest there are four answers to that question. The first is this, if we live in him, this God of hope, he will live in us. That's not an automatic thing. If I choose to live in this God of hope on a daily basis... I reckon that I will be flooded with his hope. John chapter 15, Jesus said that I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, then I will abide in you. 
I want you to notice the word if. It comes in John chapter 15 on several occasions. It's a choice. And it's all to do with fruitfulness, isn't it? And just being a Christian doesn't make you fruitful. Being a Christian who chooses to live in the vine is what makes you fruitful. If you abide in me, I will abide in you. So how am I going to be a person flooded with hope? I choose on a daily basis to live in him, trusting that as I do so, he will live in me. There is a reason why there are downcast, miserable Christians in the world. One is because life's tough and we're not really relying on God. And the other is we are living isolated lives from the very source of hope itself. So my encouragement very much this morning for us, this isn't a legalistic thing, it's not a heavy thing, it's an invitation. If we believe in this God of hope, he will be sort of alienated from my life down here unless I take the step on a daily basis to choose that I'm going to live in him and therefore he will begin to live in me. I think this is why the psalmist says, soul, come on, why are you downcast? Hope in the Lord. And as he does this, God comes and fills him and floods him with hope. If you go back to Romans chapter 15, verse 13, you'll find there that there's this reference to, may the God of hope fill you. And I love that phrase. It's kind of like this God of hope, he's not wanting me to be detached from him. He wants me to he wants to fill me with his hope. Here's the great news this morning. If you're a child of God, you are now in Christ. And because you're now in Christ, he is now in you. And you and I together can get to be filled with his hope. I love this verse, Colossians 1.27. So then God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The second way that we become a people of hope is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 13 again. Go meditate on this verse. It's so much in here. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. You see, becoming a hopeful person is not self-effort. It's not about trying hard. It's actually a work of the Spirit. You do realize that the Holy Spirit is non-optional. You do realize if you want to live the Christian life, you can't do it. But you can with the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, there's nothing you can do in your Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm really looking forward to our weekend away in Wales because we've decided we're going to do the whole weekend on the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. If we can't live without him, we need him in every aspect of our lives. And that includes the issue of hope. So I really want this to be an encouraging word for you this morning. If you are not naturally a hopeful person, it's irrelevant. Because this is good news for people like you. Because it's not to do with personality and temperament. This is why this is such good news. Hope isn't dependent upon me and how I feel, but it's absolutely dependent on her. You've heard the illustration of a glass of water that's half empty, or depending on how you look at it, half full. 
So put your hand up this morning if you are a half-empty glass kind of person. Wow, there's only a few of us. Phenomenal. If you're a half-glass full person, would you like to put your hand up, please? Amazing. So when Liz and I got married, this became very, very interesting. Because I married a half-glass full person. Now, in fact, I married a person who the glass was totally full, even when it was only half full. (laughs) And I really am not like that. So I'm naturally quite a bit depressive, a bit glum. I was in an elders meeting once, um, and I'd been away on a trip somewhere, and I came back, and it was Tuesday morning, and we were talking about the meeting. And it was obvious the meeting hadn't gone very well. The worship wasn't too good. Someone had prayed a heretical prayer. The preacher <laughs> wasn't particularly on song. People were missing. The PA wasn't working. And I, I'm just sitting listening to this story. And I kind of said, guys, what's going on, you know? I'm away, I come back, I hear all this news and blah, and I just like this. And one of my fellow elders said to me, Dave, you know, I've, I've, I know you quite well. I've known you for some years now. I said, he said, and I've met some glum people in my time. But you, when you're glum, you're the glummest guy I've ever, ever met. I was really angry about this. And I came home and I said to Liz, you never guess what one of my elders said. So I told her and she said, I've been trying to tell you this for years. (laughs) So here we have a guy who's helping to lead churches, who's got a tendency to being glum, marrying somebody who's really bright and very positive. And I'm kind of a bit negative and full of anxiety. She really isn't. And so you've got this clash, really. And you think, well, this is going to be, you know, a real struggle throughout our lives. And I have to honestly say that the only answer that I found for this dilemma in my life is the person of the Holy Spirit. There really isn't any other way, which is why this verse says that we might be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can be full of hope. So Christian melancholics trying desperately to be hopeful because we're now Christians doesn't work. I could, I've tried to look on the bright side of life, to whistle a happy tune. I'm a West Ham supporter. It's really, really, really hard work throughout your life. The basis of the fact, and I feel guilty now. I'm a Christian. I shouldn't be glum. I've got to do something about this. So I try my hardest. You, it lasts about a day. My experience is this, that when the Holy Spirit comes upon people, that are naturally half-empty, glum kind of people, a transformation can take place. So that's why the Bible says, live by the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, be being filled with the Spirit every day. I am convinced that every child of God, no matter what their natural temperament, can be a person flooded with hope. Now you guys who are of a happy disposition type of people, I've got a little warning for you as well. If you just rely on your happy disposition, that's not going to last either. Something's going to happen in your life where you suddenly realize, I've been just living on the natural stuff. And there will come a moment when you also realize you need 
the power of the Holy Spirit. So I passionately believe that Freedom Church can be a church full of hope. No matter what we're going through or our natural dispositions or what the, what's like going around in society around us at the time because it's all dependent on this person called the Holy Spirit. Number three, we become a people full of hope when we know and live in God's promises. God's promises flood us with hope. Listen to this scripture. It's a bit of a strange scripture, but in the light of this kind of talk it kind of comes to life Romans 8 verse 24 for in this hope we are saved now hope that is seen is not hope just think about that for who hopes for what he sees for if we hope for what we do not see we wait for it with patience what's the point of this well the point is that promises that God's made makes are not always automatically experienced you see if we had everything at the touch of a button straight away there'd be no need for hope if you saw everything instantly if you could see everything and experience everything what would you be hopeful about and so in the sovereignty of God there's a reason (laughs) that some of the promises that God makes to us corporately as well as individually are not automatically received. And here's the answer. It's that we might learn how to hope in God. We need to be a people full of hope. We become a people of hope when we believe the promises and we wait for them. And do you know what? We wait for them in the midst of hopelessness. You know, people will look at us as a church from the outside, people who are not yet Christians, and say, you guys are crazy. But what they don't understand is that we, we know our weaknesses and our frailties and our imperfections, but we are trusting in a God who's made promises, and these promises are going to come to pass. Therefore, we are a people who are flooded with hope. Hebrews 11.1, 1, many of you know this like the back of your hand, but it reminds us about this context. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not yet seen. And this is where faith and hope go hand in hand. God is faithful. His promises are true. We're just waiting. And listen, folks, while we're waiting, we can get flooded with hope. What are you like waiting for something that's been promised that doesn't come? See, it's a, it's a real hassle for some of us. We get impatient. Some of us get to a point where we throw in, want to throw in the towel. We've waited long enough. We can't wait anymore. And yet at the same time in this delay, this waiting, there is the opportunity for the opposite, that my hope will grow, that my belief will grow, my, my faith will grow. We live in an age where church life in Europe is not what it's meant to be. So do I just live here and put up with it? And some of us might even say, well, church is better than it used to be. And you're probably right. But it ain't nothing like what God wants it to be. So all the time we are aware of this, we don't give in. We keep hopeful. We keep believing God. We keep trusting in him. I absolutely do not believe the kind of church life that we're living is the end of the story. I believe there's so much more to come because God has promised. Let's be full of hope. And not only that, can I just throw this one in for free? I don't know what it's like in Liverpool, so what you're like culturally and everything else. But can't we just encourage one another a little bit more than we normally do? 
I think a lot of Christians go through very difficult times. They just need someone to come and say truth to us and encourage one another. Don't worry. It's going to change. Not, I don't believe in just talking, you know, wishful thinking, kind of really rooted in the word of God. Let's believe him for great things. Number four, and the final answer to the question, how to become people of God. Are you following me? So if you start living in him, he'll start living in you. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and thirdly, if you know and live in the promises and are full of hope that he's going to do it, you'll be a people of hope. And the fourth is this, to learn how to overcome disappointments. It's interested in the worship that disappointment, discouragement came on several occasions. There are certain things that rob us of hope, that drain hope away from us, that makes us disappointed. You don't just get disappointed for no reason. And when disappointment turns into the real discouragement, it's always a reason why that's happened. God knows why. But I don't know about you, but just to remind us why this happens, we do have an enemy. I could quickly bypass that because some people make that as an excuse. Well, the enemy made me. The reality is we do have an enemy. He's called the accuser of the brethren, which means you and me. And one, he is absolutely determined to rob you of hope. He can't, the devil is interesting because he can't snatch you out of God's hands. He knows that better than you do. But he can try and make you as ineffective as possible. And if he robs the church of hope, if he robs us as individuals of hope, then he would have won a victory. So we do have an enemy who robs us of hope, who makes us disappointed and discouraged. Another reason is delays. We've already looked at that. When we go through delays, we get disappointed. How many of you have ever been disappointed with people? Throw that one in. We get disappointed with people because they're like you. And you disappoint people as well. It's like when you join a small group and you look around and you think the one common denominator of all these people in this group I've just joined is they're all weird and strange and peculiar. (laughs) What you don't realize, they're looking at you and they're thinking exactly the same. (laughs) And the time, you know, people jump from church to church or group to group thinking one day they'll find the perfect. It really isn't there. People can be very disappointing. If you put all your hope in people, it can be disappointing. Come back to that in a moment. Circumstances that happen that really bring disappointment because you'd hoped it would be different to what it is. Another reason people get disappointed is they have an experience of church life that fundamentally disappoints them deeply in their inner being. For whatever reason, justified or not, this nation is full of disillusioned Christians because of church. Uh, Again, come back to that moment. Can I just say, you just can't live there. You cannot spend the rest of your life being disillusioned with church because of your experience. It's not God's will. If that's not bad enough, throw in the culture in which we live here in the United Kingdom all of which robs us of our hope. It's pretty depressive, isn't it? It's a bit hardened, cynical, very consumerist. Everyone's living for themselves. And a bit like a barbecue. Do you remember barbecues in the summer? A bit like a barbecue, um, you know, if you're close to it and then you walk away from it, the smoke kind of just clings to you. And we live in a society like that. It's tough. 
being full of hope, when all around you is saying something else, you blend in, you go under. All of which ends up in this verse, which I think is so helpful. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Here's the issue. Hope deferred, which means delayed or postponed or even lost, can end up giving you a sick heart. I know people like this. Even some people physically sick because of this huge disappointment that they hoped in something and it became deferred. And certainly spiritually sick. You'll be pleased to know that when we are people who have such high hopes and now they're dashed and we're low and depressed and about to give up, this is not God's will. It really, really isn't. And as I said before, when people let us down or even church lets us down, we just cannot live there. And we need to come to a place where hope is deferred, that we need to draw a line, however difficult that might be. And we need to put the past behind us and we need to start walking forward. Life is too short to come to the end of your life flooded with hope that's been deferred. Almost as if you justified the position, said, Lord, I trusted you, I hoped in you, you let me down, these things didn't happen, that's why my... But what you're ending, what you're end, ending up with is a sickened heart. That is not God's will for your life. That can even get a root of bitterness in you that can actually rob you of even more things in your life. So when I meet people who are people who honestly, honestly, and you have to be honest, can say to me, I hoped so much, but my hope is deferred and my heart is sick. But I really don't want to live there and stay there. These are the kind of things I say to people like that. Number one, remind yourself of truth. What has God said about your situation? <clears throat> it's never ceased to amaze me. At the end of a meeting, when I'll talk to people and they've got issues they want to talk about, and I'll always ask that question, what's God said about this? And sometimes they go, I have no idea what God says. Can I suggest this is quite important? We need to know what God says about the things that have disappointed us because his is truth that sets us free. That's why worship is so important, because worship is a reminder of truth and lifts us into a new perspective. The second thing I'll say to people is, you need to learn to renew your mind. Mind is where depression lurks. Everybody knows that's true. So if I can learn how to replace my depressive thoughts with God's thoughts, then surely that's going to end up with me being a person transformed by the hope that God has for us. I mean, that's a massive subject in itself, but we need to encourage one another to be flooded in our thinking with what God says. Number three, this might surprise you, hang out with the right people. You know, if you're in a race and um, you know you're not going to win it, you can hang out with a pack. And the pack are like-minded people like you. None of us know, you know, there's a few keen people, they're the ones who are going to really, if you really want to win a race, you've got to run with the right kind of people. I find it fascinating that Paul said 
to the Galatian church. You were running well. Who cut in on you? Not what, who? And actually, in the epistles, you realize that people who were doing really well were disaffected because they ran with people who actually pulled them down. So I, I've had to learn this over the years, that the people that I hang out with are really important. And if I hang out with people of a different temperament to me, that's absolutely fine. But I know myself well enough to know that I need to run with certain people that will energize me and help me in this race. We are affected, for good or bad, by those that we hang out with. When we first got married, I introduced Liz to a number of friends I used to hang out with a lot. It was a certain kitchen, actually, and we used to hang out together. Fundamentally, these were Christians, but they were people who were quite judgmental, opinionated, fairly negative about most things. And Liz noticed that when I was amongst them, I changed and I became like them. And she would, I would, annoyingly afterwards on the journey home, she would point this out to me. Annoyingly, you know, because I knew she was right. And I honestly thought to myself, well, what can I do? I thought, shall I go and change them all? Shall I go in there and persuade them otherwise? And then I realized that actually their effect upon me was so powerful and so negative, it was just dragging me down. Do you know what? Do you know what I had to do? I had to stop hanging out there. That's the only answer I had. I just wouldn't hang out with those people. And I started to hang out with people that really, really moved me on. You understand what I mean? If you're a cynic, don't hang out with a load of cynics. It's just going to pull you down even more. Find people who can really do you good. Fourth thing is this. Have fun. Isn't that theologically profound? It's important. If you want to be a person full of hope, then you need to be a person that learns how to have fun. And I'm not being glib, and I'm not even, you know, suggesting you, you know, sing little happy songs to help you along the way. But I honestly think some of us just take ourselves far too seriously. And that is part of the thing that robs us of hope. I always say to Christians who I meet that take themselves far too seriously, I, do you just want to know, God doesn't take you nearly, nearly as seriously as you take yourself. And by the way, none of us take you seriously either. And for some people, it's a bit of a revelation. You know the story of Mary and Martha. And there's lots of people who have lots of views about Mary and Martha and that little moment when Jesus comes to the house. I'm pretty convinced that somehow the message Jesus was sending to Martha was this. Can you just lighten up a little bit? Honestly, I mean, you're a multitasker, I get that. And you're, you're very diligent, I get that. And you're fed up with your sister because she's hanging out with me, I get that as well. That, is, that passage of scripture is not about personality types. I hear people preaching on it. Are you a Mary? Are you a Martha? It's kind of like, it doesn't say that in the text. Jesus just says, you know, Mary's chosen the right thing. So Martha, lighten up. Stop taking yourself so seriously. Come with me. Enjoy life for a moment. The food will be there later. You know, all the things you're worried about and anxious about, none of that's going away. And we, for all we know, Mary might have got up a moment and gone into the kitchen and helped Martha. We just don't know. The reality is, I think the Lord wants to help some of us who are driven and full of stress 
Jesus said, I have a yoke for you, but it is light and it is easy. There is great joy about being a follower of Jesus. And one of the things that great gives us the greatest joy is this. We have a future. We really do, both in this life, because the best is yet to come, and in the life to come after. We always have a future. Let me close by reading Romans fifteen thirteen again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and belief and peace in believing so that you may have by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I love the phrase abound. Overflow. Become infectious. Impart joy and peace and hope everywhere we go. Our nation needs churches like this. Your workplace needs Christians like this. Let's pray together. I want to pray, Father, for anyone here today, as we come to the end of 2017, whose lives are a long way away from hope. And I pray this morning this word will be of massive encouragement that hope's much, much closer than you think. It's actually even a prayer away. And Lord, I pray for us in this rather gloomy, cynical, hardened world that most of us have been raised in, that we will stand out, shine like stars, that in a world without hope, there will emerge a people flooded with hope. Not just hopeful, but knowing the God of hope. God of hope, would you come And flood us with your hope. May we abound with hope. May Freedom Church become renowned as a people flooded with hope. If you go there, it's infectious. You just get some of this hope rubs off on you. Lord, would you do that? We think of all our friends, our neighbors who are trying their hardest, but their lives are pretty hopeless, really. They might come to know Jesus. And know the hope that we know. And that you might even use us in the way that we live to impart something to them that is so attractive. Because it's not about us. It really is all about you. I pray for anybody here today, even as you spoke to us during the worship, that needs to respond. I pray, Lord, you'll give them the peace to do so this morning in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.